This is a, a fun passage, right? This is a verse that um, I would say many Christians know, um, but I would also say this is a verse that many non-Christians know, people who yes. aren't believers, who don't find themselves in church buildings and what have you. So what are some common, I guess, misconceptions or misunderstandings or misuses of this verse? Certainly the first two. Um, judging other people, that's a fun one. I, I honestly feel just a little judged in the way you said that to me. Are you judging me right now? As a matter are, of fact, are you judging me? Yeah, I am. There's intent. Well, I think, I think uh, you know, if, if that could kind of break the ice for how this verse is misused, it's both inside and outside the church, we, we've taken this verse to mean that Jesus is forbidding all judgments, that we, we are not allowed to make moral declarations uh, on the lives of others. And so you certainly see it um, in the world around us. And anytime that they feel the, the teaching of Scripture uh, or, or the teaching that we give as Christians mm -hmm. would put them in the category of sinners, right. uh, that we don't approve of their lifestyle, that we don't... Uh, you, you see it in, in, in the language that's given that not only does the world expect us to accept them, but to uh, celebrate them even in their sin. And mm -hmm. so um, if we as Christians aren't willing to do that, we'll very quickly be told, well, you're not supposed to judge. You're standing in judgment of me. Scripture says that you're not supposed to judge. And so that's certainly one of the ways that you see this verse taken out of context or misused as if somehow Jesus was giving a blanket prohibition right. against all judgments. Right. I think that in our everyday life we make judgments, obviously, so to forbid every single judgment that we make right. would be almost, no, it would be impossible. We're constantly making these uh, moral judgments, ethical judgments, certain types of judgments, and I think that, I think you're right, when people from outside the church or who don't read this, or even inside the church, you know, I'm right. not just going to take this and only apply it to those outside. I think those inside the church look at this and say, well, we're not supposed to judge others. So when you see my sin, please, 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 please don't. Please stay right. away. That's not your business. That's right. my business. That's between me and God, right? right. This is a, a personal thing, not interpersonal thing yeah. here. Yeah, I think yeah. That that's, that's true. It's also what a lot of the reasons um, whenever I have spoken with non-Christians over the years and they maybe went to church when they were younger and they don't go to church now right. and you look at Barna surveys and when kids get to college or late high school one of the primary reasons right I think you and I just read an article this morning one of the primary yep. reasons why people don't come back into church is because they're too judgmental right why you judgmental people you hypocrites right I can't go in there you know and of course we as Christians sit on this side who are only here by God's grace and say, what's, what's one more going to make a big difference, right? Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so what does this mean? So what is being prohibited here? What is, if we look at the first couple verses here that are more familiar to most people, um, what are we talking about here? What is this right, right. Well, prohibiting? I, so I think, I think the first thing that we have to recognize and understand is that Jesus is, is not giving a blanket prohibition on all judgments. You're going to see it even, even later in verse 6. He's talking about those who are pigs and dogs, and he, he, he tells us to make some type of discerning judgment and recognize the categories of people. Later on in the chapter, in verse 
15 through verse 20. Mm. Um, Jesus says that we'll be able to recognize by the fruits of people whether they're good or evil. Uh, and so there is some judgment that's being made there. So we wouldn't be able to understand the rest of the sermon even, much less the rest of Scripture, without, uh, without judging God has made us to be people that have critical capacities, and Jesus is not telling us here to simply overlook everything in every single person and never to, never to judge. I think specifically what is being prohibited by Jesus is the idea of an overcritical spirit. Um, a severely critical person is what Jesus is saying here in terms of why we're not supposed to judge. I learned a new word this week in reading through the commentaries. Uh, this may not be new to many of you, but it was new to me at my education level. So, uh, censorious was the word. Uh, and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. Censorious. 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 So, someone who is severely critical of others is the definition or the idea of what's being in use here. Several of the commentaries kept using that word that what Jesus is speaking about is those who are censorious or they're very, they're very, very harshly critical of others. John Stott says this, in a word, what is Jesus prohibiting? In a word, it's censoriousness. The followers of Jesus, the follower of Jesus is still a critic in the sense of using his powers of discernment but not a judge in the sense of being censorious. Censoriousness is a compound sin consisting of several unpleasant ingredients. It does not mean to assess people critically, but to judge them harshly. The censorious critic is a fault finder who is negative and destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction in their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. To be censorious is to presume arrogantly, to anticipate the day of judgment, to usurp the prerogative of the divine judge, in fact, to try to play God. So I, th I think that helps us understand a little bit more what, what Jesus is prohibiting. He, he, Jesus is speaking to those who are judgmental in their nature, where they're willing to pronounce judgment and, and on the eternal value of individuals, uh, with such a role and ability and response, they take a responsibility upon themselves that belongs only to God. Right. So they're so they're a one track person, and they're they're one track, and their their pursuit is to say, "Hey, you did this wrong." They're making an ethical statement or a Correct. moral statement of of a wrongdoing, and that's literally all they're looking for. There's nothing else. They kind of get the blinders on to anything else. Correct, correct. You, you, by their reputation, by their habits, by their nature, they're very, very critical. And, and this is something that Jesus has spoken to already in the sermon. If you were to go back to Matthew chapter 5 and you saw some of the, some of the statements that Jesus made about the way that his followers, uh, about the anger that comes up mm -hmm. in their hearts and the words that come out of their mouth when they start making insults to people and they call people fools, or worthless people about the anger that comes out through retaliation and revenge, right. Jesus is making it clear in those instances, and it's similar here, that there's a responsibility taken that belongs only to God, and that's why they're not allowed to be that critical. You see it come up in, in the book of Romans. Paul picks up on this idea. In Romans chapter 2, he says in verse 1, Therefore, 
You have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the, judge of God, the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Um, he comes back to this idea then in Romans chapter 14, just a few chapters later. So Romans chapter 14, some of you will recognize the passage as uh, uh, Paul is dealing with sensitive matters of the conscience and the weaker brother and the stronger brother. And uh, what do we do when we come to different conclusions as other Christians in the body? Do we just write them off as worthless idiots? That is the temptation sometimes. I think very few of us would, would be willing to acknowledge, yes, I've, I think I take the place of God in condemning other people. <laughs> right. We wouldn't let those no. words come out of our mouths. No. But when we disagree with people, we'll very quickly uh, consider them an idiot. We'll very quickly consider them a, a moron. We'll very quickly uh, jump to conclusions about them, even brothers who interpret Scripture differently than we do, and, and get dangerously close to considering them an unbeliever on, on inconsequential matters or... or um, tertiary areas of doctrine that we right. need to be very careful that perhaps even involve liberties and freedoms and differences of conscience. So here's what Paul says then. He, he addresses how we're supposed to think of people who we disagree with. He looks in verse 4 of chapter 14. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld before the Lord he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul makes it clear that it's not our job to judge people. Um, yes, we discern. Yes, we make judgments. We don't stand in the role as judge, where we condemn others with this critical spirit. It's not our job. That belongs to God. Wow. So, in essence, when, when that is our one track, um, then that's in essence, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do, we're trying to usurp God's authority uh, within uh, a person's conscience. We're, we're, not, we're trying to be that Holy Spirit. Right. <laughs> and instead of being like the paraclete or the helper or the comforter in some ways, that we're now being that antagonist yes. that Satan pointing out and condemning. You know, Satan is the one who condemns, so when we take that place, we're really not taking place of God in that sense yes we're taking place almost of Satan of being a condemning we're not looking for their benefit right correct we're looking to judge and cast judgment uh, perhaps looking to make ourselves feel morally superior um, perhaps for whatever reason trying to tear them down but but Jesus makes it clear that so not only are we not supposed to do this because it's a role that belongs to God but mm. he, he, he reminds us that we don't stand in the place of God as judge right we stand under God's judgment. There's a judgment coming for us. We, we are the ones who will be judged. And with the judgment that we pronounce, we will also be judged. With the measure we hand out, it, it will be measured back to us. Jesus reminds us that, that God himself will someday judge us. And therefore, we need to be careful because our heart in those judgments we make, our heart is revealing itself of how we, how we understand our role. Right. I think in Romans 2 that you quoted here, I think verses 1 and 2, you go into verse 3, it says this, Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape 
the judgment of God, or do you presume on the riches of, God, of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Yeah. Yeah. When we're not showing that kindness, you know, obviously, uh, we're, we're presuming upon God. Yep. We're taking his role, obviously. Um, we're giving a false picture of what, uh, what, what God showed to us, and there, we, we then basically trample on the gospel, in essence, that something that came to us in kindness, we're going to somebody else in yep. judgment. There's a Great. dramatic difference um, in that, that picture. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think you've exactly got that. Uh, you know, so if, if kind of some of what we've talked through then helps us understand uh, what's being prohibited, that it's the overly critical spirit. So then the next question would be, so are we allowed to judge? As Christians, should we be judging? Yeah, uh, not only do I think that we should be judging, um, I think we have a responsibility to judge. Um, so I think that we have to think through that. That sounds kind of crazy at first, even though we just kind of talked about that, that it, we think scripture is pretty clear on that. But I think that we have to put uh, some feet on that. Number one in the scriptures, it's not just my opinion, obviously, <laughs> that I think we should or that my tendency is there. Yeah, I absolutely falter in this yeah. way that I'm overly critical and I don't present the gospel sometimes in the way in which I engage other people. Yes, I fully admit that, but I, wanna do, I do want to align myself with the ways that we should do that, that well. But I think there's a few different passages in Galatians 6. Um, one, this is a, uh, a wonderful passage as far as um, the reality of the fact that I guess I'll bring us to three passages here. Number one, Galatians 6, uh, verse 1, it says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. So right there it says, if you see somebody caught in sin, well, number one, we have to recognize that as sin, so we're making a judgment. Correct. We're making a judgment to understand that that is sin, right and wrong. There is uh, a moral implication there. If we see that, we need to be aware. And what do we do? We go and we who are spiritual should restore them, meaning we have to confront that. that that's what restoring that person is. Yeah. Confrontational is a neutral word. You can do that good and bad, but it's saying yeah. we should then yeah. restore them. The next scripture we go to is First Thessalonians um, uh, 5, 12 through uh, 15. This is really uh, important, too. Um, it's a passage you'll know, but this is speaking to the, the, the brothers, the, the, um, those who are in the pews, the congregants of, yeah. of the church. This is not to the pastor. It says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, starting in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So you've got the, the elders admonishing the brothers, but then it says, but he's, they're talking to the brothers. Then it says, be at peace among yourselves, uh, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, um, see that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. So what it's saying there, right there, again, it's saying you need to engage it. We need, um, it says, those who are idle, what are you supposed to do? Admonish them. You have to recognize that they're idle. That for whatever reason, whatever it might be in their life, that they need to be living for the Lord. And you go in and you engage them. You admonish them. So you have to confront that. You make a judgment on their life based on what we're seeing. Um, the last one uh, that I'll point out, at least at this point, is Jesus himself in Luke chapter 17. And he's talking to his, um, uh, to his disciples in this, uh, in this part here. And verses 3 and 4 say this, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, 
rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. <laughs> so if Jesus is saying in Matthew that we shouldn't judge, yet he says over here that we're supposed to, well, then we have to understand and kind of um, make these two make sense. It needs to come with the full context of Scripture. So Jesus here in chapter 17 says to his disciples, we need to recognize sin in our brother and we need to address it in this particular passage, he says, to rebuke it. So are we supposed to judge? Absolutely. Yeah. Judge, discern, engage people who are in sin? Yeah, we, we are. We have to make a judgment and, and, and we need to put feet on that as well. Right. So we can't avoid that and just say, let me just take all this sin and let me call my friend and say, you know what I see happening? This person's sinning. That's not what God's telling us to do or yeah. you to do. He's saying, no, you need to go directly to that person. Matthew 18, right. and personal offense, deals with that. But, or else the pastors would be inundated with a whole bunch of calls that, honestly, people in the pews can absolutely do. They have a responsibility, like us, right. like any other Christian. They're responsible to care for their brothers and sisters well. Correct. This is one way. Correct, correct. Um, and yet, at the same time, the scriptures you've walked through help us see that there's there's a certain mindset, there's a certain attitude, there's a certain spirit of gentleness, there's a goal of restoration. So we're we're not running around trying to be the spiritual police and see who can spot the most sin in the <laughs> lives of others, right? That right. that that's precisely the censorious spirit, the judgmental spirit that Jesus has already warned against. So in Matthew 7, does Jesus give us instruction about how we're supposed to go about this? Like, what, what should our attitude and posture be in correcting others? Right. I think, so let's read verses 3 through 5 again. I think it'll be helpful um, because this is all kind of describing what we are um, bringing out in the other um, epistles and letters and such. It says, why do you see, in verse 3, the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So it's right, right away in verse 3, it's saying, okay, I get that there's a speck, but why do you not see the massive protrusion yeah. from your eye, right. this log? Right. Obviously, it's hyperbole that, hyperbole that uh, Jesus is speaking in, but it's saying, okay, let me, let me first um, give you the first baby steps on engaging right. somebody else's speck, which is truly there. It's not that right. it's not there, but let me give you the baby step. Look at the log in right. your eye, you know right. what I mean? There's something dramatic in your own eye, in your own life. Um, in verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. And that's where the, the charge yeah. that Jesus makes are you hypocrite. Um, you, you know, double, oh, it's two faces, a mask, right? Yeah. We're looking at that right. Greek word there that you're wearing a different mask, like you're a different person or a different actor. First, take the log out of your own eye. Okay, action. This is what you need yeah. to do. First, do um, with yourself what you need to do. Get your heart right, and then you will be clear. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. I think if we look at those passages, you know, I, I jotted down some things here in Galatians six one. Um, you've got brothers. If anyone's caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit yeah. of gentleness. Okay, engage that person in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself. The yeah. very next words, keep Great. watch on yourself. Where is your heart? Where is my heart? Where are our hearts yeah. as we're engaging somebody else who's caught in sin? First Thessalonians 5, you know, when we look at that passage, it says, 
and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. Okay, there's the admonishment, but yeah. what's the next words? Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient yeah. with them all. You're seeing if, if God, by his Spirit, is having you recognize that, then by that same Spirit, we bear the fruit of the Spirit and start working out how we engage them. Do we care about who they are? And then it says in 15, no one repays anyone evil for evil. Always seek to do good to one another. And at the bottom line, in Thessalonians is saying, yeah. are you looking for the good of your brother? Right. Are you looking for the good of who they are as a person? Yeah. Do you really consider them part of the body of Christ? Um, and that you're called to what? Build them up and not tear them down. Um, so, and even Luke 17, I mean, he starts out this, um, this almost rebuke to, to the disciples. Pay attention to yourselves yeah. with an exclamation point. Like, wake up. Right. Have a mirror when you're going to somebody else. Make sure you're looking at yourself before you start to address somebody else so that you, your own hearts. And why does he do that? He does that because he doesn't want them to fall into other sin of right. the self-righteous, this right. building up of your own um, soapbox or tower of saying, yeah. I am now the definition of the poster child of what it means to be able to be a fruit inspector, right. you know, right. when I've got all kinds of issues and stuff in my life uh, and on my tree. So I think that grace is, um, because God led, um, God led with grace as he engaged yeah. us in our own sin, that, that's all we could yeah. offer, those filthy rags as Isaiah talks about. Um, we need to understand that in grace, then, if we're going to present the gospel well, yeah. we need to lead in grace with our brothers and our sisters to say, to say hey, this is what I'm seeing in your life. Yeah. I know it's frustrating or difficult. I know the circumstance is this. But I just want to encourage you. Let's, let's right. talk. Let me pray with you. Or if it's a uh, besetting sin, meaning one that they're continually in or struggling with, maybe God's called you to walk alongside mm. them. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie, that's not easy, yeah. um, but that's the Christian life, right? That right. we share one another's burdens, right. as Galatians 6 talked about. We walk alongside of them and continue to pray with them, continue to encourage them, and continue to build them up. Not letting their sin, sin entangle them, yeah. but helping continue by God's grace and spirit untangle that and yeah. walk alongside. You, you, you see that that's, walking alongside is, is the goal that Jesus has in verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Then you will be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Any of you that have had something painful stuck in your eye, you know what a help it is to have someone help you remove it. Mm. But too often, judgmental Christians ha have no desire to help restore one who has sinned or or to help remove the painful thing out of their eye. It's simply just to make sure they point it out. Hey, you got something wrong with you and you need to repent. Right. Um, whereas we're, we're called to walk alongside and to restore. And I think, I think a couple more things that are uh, telling to us about the illustration that Jesus uses and the passage that he gives. You know, you think of how... Um, you know, that command to keep the perspective on ourselves, to watch ourselves, lest to, we too be tempted. Here Jesus says, take the log out of your own eye first. Mm. Um, you know, if you had something stuck in your eye and had to go to the eye doctor, 
Could you imagine sitting there on the chair and and when the eye doctor walks into the room, there's clearly something wrong with his eye. He's got, you know, not just, you know, not, not just, Jesus is, is so exaggerating this that people would realize it's humorous, that he physically can't see because he's blinded because there's something massive stuck in his eye. There's no way that you would let him touch your eye and try to help you with yours because he himself can't see clearly. And, and that's, that's Jesus' point, um, that without that humble, self-introspection we we cannot accurately see the faults of others we think we can um, but we actually become very dangerous when we try to then remove specks out of other people's eyes and and i think jesus even tries to help us understand that in a couple of the words that uh, are used he uses in verse um Three, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? That, that word that he uses for the word see has this idea of casual glance. You know, you casually look and notice mm-hmm. that your brother has a speck in his eye. I don't know about you, but some of us are just wired such that with a casual glance, it's pretty easy to see when we think things are wrong and something, uh, there's no justice there because with just a casual glance, boom, there's a speck, I spot it, yeah. I want to get it out. Right. Uh, but then Jesus says, why don't you notice the log that's in your own eye? That word is a different word. It's not a casual look. It's, it's like this intense, studied glance. And, and I think Jesus is helping us see the posture before, before we would ever try to step into the life of someone else. There needs to be this, this introspective, careful looking, trying to see what what wrong we may have that we need to deal with before we would ever address this other person. Because if our goal is truly to help them and remove the speck that's in their life, uh, we won't accurately be able to do that without first dealing with the sin that's in our own lives. I think it's good. That word casual, do, would you ever encourage somebody to casually address somebody's sin? Hmm. Like, no, you, mm-hmm. you wouldn't. You wouldn't just yeah. casually say, hey, you got sin, and right. just kind of walk away. Just FYI, here's a little quick little note. You got sin going on. You know, you right. wouldn't. That's right. not caring for somebody at all. Right. You would absolutely want to make it more than casual right. if you were actually going to address. I, I was about that. to say that sometimes, sometimes we do casually address people's sin because we don't desire to help. We desire to hurt. Mm-hmm. We desire to make ourselves feel good. Um, but if, if this was truly a friend that we cared about, mm-hmm. we would never take such a, a risk of dealing with it so casually. Right. And the, the other way, obviously, is, is to, be de- to deal with it harshly, right? For, forget the gentle walk alongside. It's right. like, you got something in your eye. Let me get that for you. Right. <laughs> and you, not, and you, right. you, you knock their eye. You hit their head. Yeah. And the, you, you cause way more harm than good. And they might say right. to you, you know, well, I still have it in my eye, but now the back of my head hurts. Right. Sorry. Right. You know what I mean? They just right. one of those things. Yep. So that, that's not the way in which we want to do things either. And I think this principle is is played out in other places in scripture where where else does scripture show us some of these examples where where people um either didn't practice what they preach Mm -hmm. or were blind to their own sin because i think i think this is a consistent truth that that scripture illustrates for us elsewhere right i think there are a a couple different things so two different settings in luke i think have this really clearly at least one references the attitude um, that we should have when we start to address somebody else, somebody else and maybe their sin or an issue that they're having. When you look at the woman who was forgiven, who came to Jesus' feet, who washed with their tears and her hair, yeah. and the Pharisees looked, 
And they said, and I, I even quoted this, I don't know, probably a month ago, um, but basically that, do you understand that there's a sinful woman at your feet, that this unclean woman is touching you? Um, and, he, and, he, and he leans over to Peter, and after seeing that, um, he, he basically asks Peter, now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. He explained that there's two debts. One had a very large amount of debt, one had a small amount of debt. Well, and the larger debt is forgiven, um, who's going to be more grateful? Well, the, the one who's yeah. larger, obviously. So if we don't come to somebody else understanding that the debt we had before God was so large and so massive and so unforgivable, mm. yet God forgave us, if we don't then, in turn, as a byproduct, look and say, wow, I've been forgiven yeah. much. Who am I to even talk to you? But let me. But I love you enough to talk right. to you. Great. We need to come in that kind of, that kind of tone. Uh, I think the other one is uh, Luke 18, and this is where... Uh, we would know this parable where Jesus addresses with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collectors. Luke 18, 9 through 14. Um, here, and I'll kind of read this. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. Mm. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself mm. will be exalted. I think this, this parable here is a, is a phenomenal picture of when Nathan yeah. confronted David in yep. his sin of adultery. Yep. Um, many, many, many months later after it had actually yeah. happened, where David was, had so far steeped into a sin that he forgot that it was there, yeah. yet in the minor uh, offense of somebody else, when Nathan confronted him, yeah. stealing a little lamb, he, he went on some you know, uh, indignation and he yeah. put himself up, you know, in his heart right. and Nathan smacked him down and said, you're that man. Yeah. You are that man. And right. he didn't even realize his own sin. I think that um, we oftentimes will address somebody else's before we even address our own. Right. We sit on this pedestal as if we have the right to do so. Right. And we miss that log, that massive log that needs to be removed. Yeah. Well, you, you, you think of that story with Nathan and David and you see how David's sin, the log in his eye, so blinded him that it was impossible for him to see. He thought he was accurately seeing, right. but he was so blind. Completely, um, yep. And then, you know, I think of Luke 7, you know, the woman who understood the forgiveness of her sin, I think that so beautifully illustrates what, what Jesus is driving home here in, in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, uh, is what he's already hit on a couple of times in the sermon. Um, in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, in the Lord's Prayer in chapter 6, forgive us our debts even as we forgive our debtors. There's a mindset here that, that helps us in this attitude that, that uh, before, before confronting the sins of others, we should graciously understand our own need for mercy. Uh, realize our own need of forgiveness from God. Realize we may need forgiveness from this person who's involved in the sin because maybe we had our own contributions in the situation. Amen. And uh, that posture then 
uh, desiring to be meek, desiring to be merciful, knowing we need forgiveness. That, that posture is going to go far, much farther in the life of the church and among believers than a, desi- uh, than a spirit for vengeance and a spirit for anger and a desire to self-vindicate. Uh, simply that one's just going to lead to hardship. Right. And I, I think with verses 1 through 5 in particular, like you said, it's, it's just as if you know, you look at Matthew 6, um, where how we treat others yeah. is always indicative of where our own hearts are with God. And so like Matthew 6, after the Lord's Prayer, in verse 14, it says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There's an understanding yeah. that is constantly being painted throughout yeah. the sermon of our walk with God should always have implications here. And if right. this is off, this has to be off. Yep. Someone is not right with God in their hearts in this matter. And he's yep. always saying, look at your heart so that you do this well. Right. It's not that God's love for us is completely contingent upon um, how we treat others. However, it's absolutely a byproduct of a spirit-led life with yep. others. Yep. Um, so... I love how Jesus is consistently tying the two together. Yeah. You can't have this right and, and, and right. this wrong. It's, it's impossible. Yep. First John talks about that as well as far as God's love. So, yeah, I think that's that, really... That's absolutely true. So, let me read verse 6. What do we do with verse <laughs> 6? Because this, at first glance, seems like a curveball. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. What? Where is Jesus going with this? Right. I think uh, as far as commentaries, um, study Bibles, uh, some would you know, suggest a lot of things. So some would suggest that it's you know, the dogs and the pigs. Well, we know that they're unclean animals and Jewish eyes. Matthew, the gospel, is generally written to Jewish people. Um, thus, the, the good things are the pearls that are used in another parable are... Um, is the gospel or the, or the goodness and the riches of the kingdom of God, the gospel message... Um, and the pigs and the, the dogs are, you know, either Gentiles some have yeah. or some have thought historically um, they would have the Romans, uh, the political yeah. system, the governing system of Rome, the, the, those who suppress, you know, they, they might look at that and say they'll, they'll trample you or they'll attack you. Um, I think Carson is one of the ones I, I read on this. So I think that brings it contextually, I think, mm-hmm. in a really good light here. And, yeah. and, and he says this, I'll read it. It says, disciples exhorted to love their enemies, in, you know, in chapter 5, verses 43 through 37, and not to judge, in, in, in 7 1, what we just read, might fail to consider the subtleties of the argument and become undiscerning yeah. simpletons. So he's basically saying, okay, we're, we're called not to judge in right. one sense, and we're cu- called to love our enemies, those who persecute us. Yes, we are called to do that. Um, but on the other side of that road, not to fall off, is the fact that um, we're not pushovers when it comes right. to um, who we proclaim Christ to. Yeah. Even Christ in his own ministry, what does he say? He said, I came for the sick, yeah. not those who, if you will, think they're healthy. Right. What is he saying there? He's saying, you Pharisees who think you've got it all good to go, I'm not coming right. for you. Right. You're going to have your judgment. I'm coming for those who are truly seeking the right. kingdom of God in their hearts. And he goes, you see Paul do that in his letters as well, um, that he went to the Jews in the temple, and then eventually he was like, you've rejected me so much. Right. Now, through God's calling and plan, I'm going to the Gentiles. And you're seeing this, uh, if you will, discrimination. I mean that he's 
discerning who we should and who we shouldn't give the gospel to. Because after a while, it becomes right. evident that God has other roads and other people right. um, to whom the gospel needs to be proclaimed. So he's, he's, he's trying to say, don't fall off this cliff and be a simpleton right. and just keep getting yelled at day in and day out. Yes. Keep moving on. The gospel has plenty of ears um, to receive. So right. I think that we're looking uh, it, at I, I think that Jesus is giving us a helpful uh, guide rail or guardrail. You know, if 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 he has made it clear we're not supposed to be overly critical, we're supposed to be gentle in dealing with sin. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, that doesn't mean that we uh, don't come to some of those discerning conclusions when some, out of the hardness of their hearts, have completely, com- com- um, um, repeatedly and right. continuously rejected the truth of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus is not saying that we would uh, have an obligation to let the truth of the gospel be trampled or ourselves even uh, attacked from those whose hearts are so hardened to the truth. And so it it gives some parameters. It's a it's um, some some commentators pointed out that it's a New Testament example of Proverbs, the principle in Proverbs chapter nine, verses seven and eight. Whoever corrects a scoffer gets himself abuse, and he who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Right. So I think there's some... Situational almost there, right? Because it's saying two completely opposite things. Yeah. Do correct, don't correct. Right. Um, Yeah, I think that's a great point. Yeah. That's smart. The, uh, you know, I I know in my life over the years, there there have been certain people in my family that I've ministered to with the gospel, and there are just times where they're just, no, 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 no. And there are times where I honestly, in seasons where I I almost retreat verbally, pray for them, what, what God's saying is don't give up on praying for them, let yeah. the Spirit do a work, but there's a time where you actually have to, with your words, just continue to live a life that is holy unto God, and there are other people that need to hear the word. And if he's going to bring that back, he'll, he'll put that, that conviction in your heart, yeah. and the opportunities will be there, but there, there are times where we, walk, we honestly walk yeah. away with the gospel message. We, like the disciples did when they were sent out, we... Mm. You know, we wipe our sandals, wipe our hands, and we move on yeah. to the next town, to the next people who need to hear who Christ is. So. And, I, and I think it's important, too, to note that this is primarily, this passage is addressed Christian to Christian. It's something where we can't utilize uh, these parameters of the gospel and engaging one another and um, holding each other accountable mm-hmm. to these things. Um, outside of the body of Christ. Right. You know, obviously they're going to be judged by the standards the world has, which, is, which are ever-changing. But within the context of the Christian community, these are the standards by which we engage others graciously. We see them. We do actually go to them, but we do it um, w- w- within the family of God, obviously not outside. We don't use these, these, these means that yeah. do the same thing. And I think that's helpful that Jesus gives instructions and even sets the expectation that even within the Christian community, there's going to be sin. There's going to be relational conflict. You know, it's not, as you think of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has set the standard impossibly high. You know, he has said, look at your heart, look at your motivations, look at your actions, and he's made it very clear that his followers are supposed to live with a different kind of righteousness. However, He's not saying that if we all work hard enough, we can of our own achieve that righteousness and have some type of Christian utopia within the church where sin is absent yeah. from our lives. 
And I think that's where sometimes Christians start to get themselves in trouble because we're made in the image of God. We are hardwired for justice. Mm -hmm. we, we are going to notice when things are wrong and when there's sin present within the community. And yet we have to remember, our posture has to be that God doesn't need us to, to do his job for him and to run around with this uh, fault-finding mentality, trying to fix other people's sins, uh, what our default posture actually ought to be, that we, because of the gospel, recognize the depths of our own sin. And we recognize our need for forgiveness. We recognize our need for mercy. And in a very meek and gentle way, when it comes to pointing out the sins of others, God doesn't need us running around being the fault-finding police. He, he's judge. He will sort these things out someday. Mm. What, what he's put us for here in the Christian community is with a spirit of gentleness, with a spirit of meekness, with a, a, a mindfulness of our own need of forgiveness, that now we try to help. We tried to encourage, we tried to bring restoration. And that's really the mindset that, that we ought to have. Yeah. Um, so we're very careful as we approach that. So hopefully these things bring encouragement. Excellent, I think they do. Certainly I understand my own heart has issues, and, uh, but Same. we as a body are made up of people whose hearts have issues, right? right? And we can't avoid that, but we need to go to God and act in a way that his spirit inspires us to do yeah. so as we engage others, so. Correct. All right, looking forward to uh, the next few verses. Ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find next week. Um, and going on uh, chapter 7 there. So yep. obviously that means that we can ask for anything we want. And as Christians, we get it. Wonderful. If you preach it that way, <laughs> my guess is someone may have a judgmental, critical remark, and even rightly so, that perhaps that won't be what God's intention is. But they'll graciously point it out, right? I'm sure now we will all do perfect at this. <laughs> Church, we love you. We miss you. We're looking forward to being able to be together again whenever we're allowed. For now, thank you for joining in with us. We're just going to close in prayer and ask God's blessing on his word. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your work in our lives. We would ask that you would use your spirit in our hearts. Mm that your spirit would use your word to convict, to instruct, to encourage. We're thankful, Father, that um, on our own, none of us could ever measure up to the standard of righteousness that you require. And we're thankful that you, in the person of Jesus Christ, uh, have provided payment to, to bring us into right relationship with you. Help us, Father, to love our brothers and sisters, ever mindful of our own need for your mercy. So help us to be merciful to others. We ask and pray in Christ's name. Amen.